Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Let's get into this week's topic. David, we have a guest today? Yes, we do. We have with us Ryan Williams, who is the CEO and founder of Cadre, which is a kind of a, a fintech that focuses on on real estate. So Ryan, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, before we, you know, I'm interested to pick your brain a bit about what you're seeing around real estate investment trends and if you could, you know, and talking a bit about your platform, but maybe just start with, you know, a quick bio and a quick uh, about yourself and about Cadre. Absolutely. So I am uh, the founder and CEO of Cadre. Uh, I started the business in uh, 2014. So we are, we're going on a decade now. Uh, and Cadre in many ways is the culmination of my experience going back uh, now almost two decades. You know, I've always been entrepreneurial, started my first business in my teens and, uh, and always been really intrigued by real estate and frankly fascinated by how technology uh, could transform a space like real estate. I, um, I saw that firsthand when I was an undergraduate in college, uh, which was my first really foray into real estate investing. This was during the subprime credit crisis. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I ended up noticing after visiting roommate, one of my best friends in Atlanta, there are all these foreclosed homes in and around his neighborhood. And I'd been there a year before and street was immaculate at that time. And so I didn't have the money myself, uh, but a lot of my classmates did have a lot of liquidity. And so I um, presented this opportunity and this idea of you know, buying some of these foreclosed homes, aiming to rent them out to people who lived in the area who just needed a second shot at, you know, the American dream and uh, frankly, many working class communities. And, um, you know, showed for the first time you could do well while doing good. Uh, we ended up raising about $60,000, bought our first home, rented it out to a local uh, community member. She was able to build her credit back up. We ended up selling the home back, made a little more than three times our money. Uh, unlevered. And um, from there, you know, I started buying more homes using really rudimentary application of data and technology to aggregate information, because this was sort of pre Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, and uh, ended up graduating to buying apartment buildings and, you know, building a portfolio with thousands of residential units as effectively my 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 night job. Um, my day job was was being a student and then eventually doing investment banking so I could pay off my, my student loans. Uh, but I say all that to say uh, real estate's been a, a space that frankly has uh, evolved so much, um, but in so many ways, it's still pretty antiquated. And I think technology will be one of the biggest drivers of evolution in real estate you know, in our lifetimes. Um, and so I, um, I took a broader holistic view of how tech could be applied to real estate after working at, at Blackstone and their real estate mm-hmm. private equity group for a few years. And um, from there, I said, look, yeah, I've seen how much wealth's being created for a relatively concentrated base of, of investors. At that time, you know, our LPs were predominantly institutions. Sure. And um, I wanted the everyday person to be able to access institutional grade real estate without sacrificing the quality or, you know, or the, the standards or the underwriting process. I wanted it to be institutional plus curation. Um, and uh, came up with the idea of Cadre after looking at the market and seeing that there was really no one 
who was bringing in an institutional approach to uh, underwriting uh, and then syndicating uh, quality commercial real estate to a wider range of investors. And that's where Cadre came into play. And so I started this business and we are a next generation investment manager. We provide access to uh, high quality commercial real estate, predominantly focused on multifamily, mm-hmm. uh, industrial, and we use technology to reach more people, uh, to have more transparency into our portfolio of holdings, um, and then to innovate, doing things like offering liquidity through our secondary market, which in this mm-hmm. day and age is is very needed. So it's been an amazing journey, uh, and um, in a lot of ways, I think we're just getting started. And so, you know, when you're talking about individual investors, like wh- who can invest through Cadre? Today, accredited investors are okay. the are the main focus. Um, you know, I started the business initially focused on large institutions, and we were really grateful and fortunate to have uh, a number of institutions who have invested with us um, on the platform, endowments, asset managers, foundations. Uh, and then we started lowering our minimums, reaching out to more family offices, qualified purchasers. Most recently, um, we've lowered our minimums further. So accredited investors can invest. And eventually the goal is to allow anyone to be able to invest. Well, that's it. That last part, how do you do, how, how can, how, how does that work? Because don't you have to be, to invest in real estate, be an accredited investor? How do you make it available to non-accredited? Well, you, you, there are, there are certain regs um, that, you know, require uh, one to be, accredited um, that we, we abide by for certain offerings. Um, uh, with that being said, there's also product offerings and types. Um, there's, there's one in particular that's in our pipeline that uh, enables and allows anyone to invest irrespective of your accreditation standards. So we have a, a fund in the works that will, um, will ultimately uh, allow anyone, whether or not they're accredited, to invest based off the, the structure uh, of the fund itself. Effectively, it's a 40 act fund Okay. Um, and, uh, and so that gives us a lot more leniency and, and yeah. frankly, expands the aperture. Right, right. For sure. And then you t- you mentioned the secondary market aspect. So, so can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. When I started the business, I, I recognized that, uh, there are really two gating items that prohibited most, uh, even family offices and individuals from increasing their allocation to real estate. One was uh, low fee frictionless access mm-hmm. um, because traditional real estate funds charged significant fees, double promote, double carry, um, and uh, made it pretty burdensome unless you were a big institution to actually be able to get into their their offerings. And the second bottleneck and issue that I want to address was the lack of liquidity. I knew a lot of LPs and investors who felt like they were prone to market swings without any optionality to get out, um, and they were you know scarred by 0809. And so. My view is always if I could build a more fee light, transparent uh, investing experience and create liquidity, more people would ultimately expand their allocation to real assets and to alternatives at large. And so we invested heavily in building um, a secondary marketplace uh, using technology and uh, a lot of lawyers and compliance. Um, and we offer quarterly liquidity to our investors um, on our platform where they can you know, trade their stakes to other qualified investors on the platform. We have more than 45,000 members and customers on the platform. Uh, and so it's been uh, an incredible uh, journey to be able to have uh, unlocked liquidity in what's been an illiquid asset class. We've done hundreds of trades. Um, and, you know, it's not a high frequency trading exchange or system. I, I don't think it ever will be that. 
Um, but it does provide a lot more consistent liquidity. And I think there's been all too much news about platforms that, you know, make reference to offering liquidity, but when rubber meets the road and when people actually need it, you know, they, they put the gates up. Yeah. I think that's, that's hugely important because we, we've done our own, you know, various surveys of, uh, our, our, the wealth management audience and trying to identify both the appetite for alternatives, including real estate, as well as the barriers and liquidity definitely is usually very near the top of the list. The concerns right. are out if I'm going to, you know, how long is my money going to be locked up or what are my options? And it does seem like being able to um, address that is is a way of uh, decreasing some of the friction around getting people into, you know, who, who may be interested in getting into real estate in a, in a private wrapper, as opposed to, um, you know, some of the more traditional ideas of investing in REITs or ETFs on the public side. Exactly. We found the same thing. We surveyed and pulled a bunch of different advisors and uh, even family offices and high net worth investors. And, you know, there's just oftentimes fundamental, fundamentally different needs than large institutions um, who are okay with, you know, owning and holding long periods of time. We don't encourage people to go and seek liquidity, uh, mm -hmm. but I've always felt like you can offer, you know, a more near-term flexible solution that doesn't come at the cost of having to sell your asset at a 90% discount or whatever the secondary fund, then you could really um, give people greater financial uh, opportunity and flexibility that would increase the allocation to the space uh, in a way that I thought would be healthy. So I think you've also talked a lot about just the economic opportunities for communities that ha haven't historically had access to these kind of investments. So can you talk about that piece of things? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty near and dear concept to me. You know, I'm from a community that uh, I would consider underserved, undercapitalized, underinvested in, and I've tried to do what I can to, to, uh, to help catalyze investment and in my hometown, uh, which is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, you know, I've just seen the power of what capital flows can do, both to the ecosystem and to the actual communities themselves uh, when they're directed there. Um, so uh, what we've been focused on at Cadre is literally, you know, diversifying where we invest, who we invest with, uh, who finances our deals. We've uh, struck a partnership with BlackRock, whereby uh, we, we will be investing, you know, upwards of 100 million uh, of capital uh, with underserved, underinvested communities and, and operators. Um, because again, real estate is, is such a powerful space. Uh, and if you can invest in, in those that are overlooked, yeah, actually, there's a, oftentimes an arbitrage opportunity, a real alpha to be had. So we've, um, we've been intentional about finding operators, whether those are women led and owned operators, we did a deal recently with a woman-owned and led operator, a multifamily deal out in Salt Lake City that we were really proud of and we are really proud of, um, minorities um, or just those who've been told, you know, you need a quote-unquote established track record with, with some subjective criteria. So the first pillar is, you know, really empower local operators that are overlooked. The second pillar uh, of our approach to helping create more economic opportunity in communities that are underserved is invest uh, in assets um, that we all need as society. So multifamily has been a huge focus. Um, it's been our, our, our most important asset class. And we know that you know, we have a tremendous housing shortage. You can just look at rents in a lot of areas around the country. And, um, uh, and we're proud of the fact that you know, we brought thousands of units to 
you know, to scale through our platform and portfolio. And then I'd say the third pillar is focus on financing, in our case, mm -hmm. equity and debt uh, to a wider range of individuals. Um, so on the debt side, we partnered with a number of um, community oriented banks, minority depository institutions to provide slices of the debt that we offer on our platform. Uh, and then on the equity side, as you know, our focus is really to allow communities to own their community. So while we're still focused on accredited investors today, my vision's always been, I want people to be able to you know, own that, a slice of that multifamily building that they're living in or that right. they see every day, or um, you know, a piece of that industrial warehouse that they drive by uh, every day, especially in a world where single family housing is just out of reach and unattainable um, in, in an interest rate environment that you know, is probably gonna remain elevated for the near term. This is another way for people to have access to economic opportunity um, and the upside real estate provides. And do you work at all with like our opportunity zone offer like investments or is this just more general that you're just looking to do this? We've no, we have, um, it's a great point. Try to uh, call that out as one of the product types that uh, we focused on, but no, we did, uh, um, we were one of the earliest platforms to, to really grow and scale in the opportunity zone space. Mm -hmm. um, we've invested hundreds of millions of equity uh, across a number of properties around the country. And, you know, the operators in a number of those deals uh, are operators that either uh, would be overlooked um, or considered different, maybe too unique, um, that have all delivered excellent returns for us. Um, and so the Opportunity Zone program has been a great space. We've added a lot of affordable and multifamily housing in cities like Atlanta, Nashville, Savannah, Georgia, um, Dallas, Texas, uh, a few other markets in the Sun Belt. And, and it was an incredible program, uh, especially when you know the intention of it is fulfilled, which is really to help drive greater economic vitality. We didn't invest in um, you know some of the, the big cities that we frankly thought there was already a lot of capital flowing into. Um, but pre-pandemic, we invested in a lot of markets that we saw as being those next uh, primary tier markets where there could be a greater disconnect between the haves and the have-nots. And so our, our projects there hopefully will help uh, level the playing field. Um, we have, if not the biggest, one of the biggest developments in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we worked locally with some folks, including the mayor, to help bring that to fruition. And, uh, and we're really proud of the fact that we're bringing housing units, job opportunities, and, um, and capital, you know, to, uh, to communities that, neighborhoods, frankly, that have been underinvested through the Opportunity Zone program. Uh, and when you're investing in projects or developments, what is the hold strategy? How, what's the life cycle of your investments? Sure. Typically, we're, we're um, underwriting around four to five year holds. Opportunity Zone is clearly longer, 10 years right. because of the tax benefits associated with holding and deferring for investors. You know, but typically it's you know four or five year underwriting period. You know, if there are opportunities for us to um, to sell and generate great returns for our investors, which we've been able to do on a number of occasions, uh, more than fourteen to be exact, uh, then we will do that. Um, but we're typically in the business of of investing in what I consider mid cap uh, value add real estate in the multifamily space um, in uh, what we consider emerging um, markets that will be the the next large gateway cities of our of our country. Um, so that's where we've built our niche. We think it's a great place to be in. We're much larger than the mom and pops investors, but we're smaller than the big institutions. And I think there, there's just a ton of alpha and opportunity. Um, and uh, it's also, frankly, where there's a lot of operators who are kind of in a gridlock. They're, they're sort of stuck between 
being a bigger than your your kind of mom and pop syndicators, but uh, they aren't necessarily at the scale yet to reach you know the big private equity funds who charge a lot in order to work with them. So we we see ourselves as an ideal partner in this mid cap space and think great managers can drive out performance, um, which is really where we've we've built our our, our base business. So we're also talking at a time when um, you know there's a lot of dramatic coverage about you know real estate, commercial real estate, and 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 sort of like this idea of impending doom that's that's facing the sector. Now, I, early on, you talked about identifying multifamily and industrial, and I think that's an important um, point. But uh, you know, like it, it seems to me there's a lot of overblown coverage that's that's stemming from the fact that yes, the office sector is facing some problems. But you know, ultimately, there are tons of really good uh, opportunities and really and really strong real estate across the country. So, how do you deal with with you know the fact that like there is this some of, some of this talk happening right now in, in in talking to current and potential investors? Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of the the um, the focus, the coverage is uh, is hyperbolic, and and you know our, our view is that. Um, there, of course, will be dislocations. I mean, rising rates have led to a meaningful repricing. Um, and we do expect to see distress in a number of specific property types and, and niches within those property types. We don't think it'll be widespread, though. And, and the view is that um, just like with any you know, uh, uh, market dislocation, there will be winners, there will be losers, there will be haves and have-nots. You know, we think the fundamentals in multifamily and industrial and in the highest quality office buildings actually will, will, will stay strong amidst the noise. And on the other side of the spectrum, you know, owners who have capital intensive property types that are, um, you know, financed with debt that's floating rate, they're going to struggle. Um, and in some ways, I think it's healthy for there to be sort of a, a correction, um, given just the, the, the growth that we saw and the leverage levels that we were beginning to see. Um, but our view, similar to what you mentioned, is uh, that, you know, there's going to be some distress. It won't be as widespread. We have uh, a ton of capital um, ourselves to invest in opportunities. And that is a microcosm of the broader market where there's you know, more than 240 billion of, of dry powder um, on the sidelines just focused on U.S. value at real estate. Right. So, you know, you didn't see that during 08, 09. While, you know, there's more floating rate exposure in a lot of cases, uh, you still see lower leverage levels than you did then. And so I do think that to the extent there's a window, which there will be here of dislocations, it's going to fill up pretty quickly with capital and you'll see uh, a much faster bounce back than you otherwise would see. And, you know, I think the other important point is in sectors like office, which you know, can't be generalized because there's niche office and there's right, right. CBD and there's suburban, the higher quality office buildings are continuing to generate, you know, meaningful demand. Um, and I think you're seeing a unique will from a lot of cities and towns around the country um, to help with rezoning, you know, converting mm-hmm. office that, you know, may be undercapitalized into residential multifamily. Um, and that's a unique dynamic that I don't think people are fully appreciating that will also ensure that there's not this, you know, catastrophic, you know, kind of cratering of values that you hear about a lot of times in, in certain media uh, yeah. And so that's our view. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, we're drawn to obviously wanting to have the simplest narrative. And of course. Um, I think when and I mean, I think also like, you know, when times are good and all commercial real estate is rising, even if it's happening differently, like, you know, people see it as just like one thing. 
right. but in times like this or, but, the, but there's, there's always different cycles because we always went with the retail real estate cycle over the past decade and different property types have different dynamics. And I also think people probably overestimate how much of a chunk of the real estate market is represented by office buildings versus the other types. So I don't know. I think it, I mean, so I think it makes it very interesting time because there are like when there are misconceptions to combat, it actually feels like you have a a good opportunity to tell, to to tell a narrative to people. That's right. Education is critical to answer your question. So that's what we focus on is, um, you know, staying patient. Uh, we're, We're stockpiling capital um, and then, you know, it's not just democratizing access to this space that we want to mm-hmm. do, but it's also the insights, the understanding, the information, because this is a window where people really can get educated that, you know, in, in periods where there's troughs, you know, there's always subsequent peaks. And if you can uh, be a part of the, uh, the, the rise in growth and the recovery, like institutions have been able to be a part of, um, there's real wealth opportunity creation. So, you know, we put out white papers, we have a mm-hmm. data science team that's focused on uh, identifying trends. We built our own pr- uh, property price indices, ranking markets around the US by sector type, uh, and we've educated folks. Um, and uh, I think that's what's what's really critical in this period of time is to you know kind of pull back, take a step back from sometimes the sensationalism and the overgeneralization and, uh, and recognize that in any macro you know, dislocation, there's always micro opportunities. And, um, this is the exact window when I believe people should be considering leaning in uh, mm-hmm. because uh, there is so much concern about uh, the space. Right. And so how do you distribute that stuff? So through like email lists or just general? Yeah, so we have um, we have an email. We've got a website, a platform um, where, you know, we, we provide updates to all of our customers where they can see what our latest and greatest thoughts are. We have a blog and uh, and then we deliver whether it's through email or through our platform, investor insight pieces where we're, we're taking deep dives in certain spaces, giving a holistic overview. And as I mentioned, we have thousands of people who are um, both on our email list, but also users that are verified on our website that um, receive that information uh, and then can, to the extent they want, always schedule a call with one of our investment team professionals uh, as well. So we're able to get ahead of a lot of these curves um, and ahead of a lot of these questions. And, uh, and then also start projecting and forecasting out where we think growth will be going forward and uh, and do so rapidly as well, which is different from, you know, past past periods of time. Well, I've taken up a good chunk of your time here and I appreciate you um, answering all my questions as I kind of jump from idea to idea. But yeah, I just also wanted to give you an opportunity if there are any, you know, things I didn't ask you about or final thoughts that you wanted to leave with the audience. Sure. Um, I mean, we uh, we're, we're really proud of our of our our growth, our track record, the value we've delivered to investors. Um, we are um, in the process of really building on you know the decade or so of of investment um, uh, outperformance we've delivered. We're launching our newest product, Cadre Direct Access Fund Two, mm-hmm. which is the next series of our value add real estate investing um, uh, strategy, where Again, we're going to provide institutions and accredited individuals access to um, a diversified portfolio of managed commercial real estate where you know, they can get the opportunity to uh, capitalize on wherever there are dislocations because we've got boots on the ground. We have a team of uh, investors and asset management professionals that has a network of 400 local operators around the country. So you know, we're actively um, structuring investment products and vehicles to ensure that people who are interested 
and participating in what I think will be one of the greatest opportunities of the last 15 years um, uh, can, can actually capitalize on. And so uh, that's a product we're really proud of. We expect to have large institutional commitments and individual commitments directly, which is one of the unique dimensions to our business. Um, and then I'd say the only other point is just uh, we also are um, in the process of launching, as I mentioned, Cadre's Horizon Fund. Uh, we've already received uh, millions in commitments for that vehicle. That will be uh, really a long-term value sort of core plus yield-oriented strategy where um, today accredited investors, but ultimately anyone, including RIAs and non-accredited can invest uh, and, uh, and build long-term wealth and, and generate income and, uh, you know, be able to have the transparency, the asset level that very few, if any other platforms, um, of our, of our ilk offer. So those are two products that we are, we're actively raising capital for and very focused on. Um, and like I said, I think that the, the commercial real estate industry, um, is a broad diverse industry. It's, it's one where, you know, it's dangerous to, uh, to, to generalize. Um, and I think that, you know, for individuals who are one of the fastest growing uh, investor segments, um, this is one of the opportunities to, I believe, build long-term wealth. Um, and that's why we set up the platform the way we did. Um, and uh, that's why we're excited about what's to come uh, and, uh, and invest from a place of conviction and confidence versus fear. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.